Terry. Thanks, Fred. All right, good evening, everybody. Are you well? Yeah, okay, come on now. Are we awake? Are we good to go? Bible's open. Jonah chapter 4. Let me tell you how excited I am to be here, but let me also tell you how much more excited I am to leave here uh, tonight, and that's only because I got one sleep, and then I wake up in the morning, and I start my journey to go and pick up my boy and stuff, and so tomorrow morning, I'll be leaving to go to Alabama, spend a couple days there with my mom. Sunday morning, I'll get up and drive to Charlotte, North Carolina to meet my son as he gets off the airplane from spending two years in Africa. And I can't wait. Um, d- yes, I'll be greeting him with the Dr. Pepper. That is definitely for sure. And then uh, just so be in prayer for our, our family as we're traveling. Uh, Casey and Kanan, uh, they're staying here for right now. Uh, they'll be here through the weekend. And then on Tuesday morning, they'll start their journey to, to Missouri. Uh, Logan and I will meet them in Missouri. And we'll hang out there for a couple of days with our kids that are in school there. So the family will all be back together Tuesday night, a week from uh, this coming Tuesday. And so, just can't, not a week from this coming Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. I'm ready. I'm not really ready. I've got all my clothes that need to be packed. I need uh, all my stuff I've got to get together. And so tonight's going to be a little bit brief, probably. Uh, I hope you'll be okay with that. Uh, We are going to finish up Jonah uh, tonight. Next week, there'll be no gathering because I won't be here and I'm not going to just cause a disruption with other people and their schedules because uh, Terry's helping uh, across the way with Joel and Daryl and they're doing some stuff. And so I didn't want to pull them away from that. So we're just not going to meet in here uh, next week on the 4th. We will come back together on the 11th and I'm going to try something very lofty on that day. I'm going to try to cover the entire book of Nahum in in one night and stuff. And so we'll see how that goes. Uh, Then the 18th, we're going to have a prayer gathering church-wide. That'll be our uh, service for the 18th. And so that kind of just helps you uh, get an idea on what we're doing and uh, what we're going to expect for the next several weeks. All right, I've talked enough. Surely you have your Bibles open by now. Um, Jonah chapter 4. Let me give you a quick rundown, if I could, a brief summary over the first three chapters of Jonah. You see, at the very beginning, God takes notice of the extreme wickedness of the people of Nineveh. So then he assigns a a prophet, a prophet by the name of Jonah, and he gives him the responsibility to go to the wicked land and speak about their wickedness in an effort to hopefully call them to a point and to a place of repentance in their lives. But Jonah has this deep-rooted hatred for the people of Nineveh. He has this deep hatred uh, towards Nineveh, and he has a deep loyalty uh, to Israel. And so it's because of that conflict within him that he ultimately, initially, rejects God's call on his life. And so instead of going to the land that God sent him, Jonah runs off in the opposite direction, gets on this boat, and tries to take a trip over to Tarshish. So it's as far away as he could get at that point. But God, in his great love, wasn't going to let his prophet get away. God, in his great love, wasn't going to miss an opportunity to call the people of Nineveh to a point and to a place of repentance. So God, in his great love, 
sends a storm on the sea. The storm is so violent and, and so frightful uh, that the sailors are terrified. Uh, they've never seen or experienced anything like it. And so they have this great fear. They start trying to throw things off the ship to try to make it more manageable. They finally come to the realization that this is a unique storm. It must be a result of somebody on this ship is at odds with their God. And so they go through this process of casting lots to figure out who's the person, who's the one to blame. It falls upon Jonah. They wake him up. They're like, hey, what are you doing? Where are you from? Who's this God? Through the whole conversation back and forth, the people that are on the boat are more terrified of uh, Jonah's God than Jonah is himself. So ultimately, when they realize that all their efforts were of no use, uh, Jonah convinces them that if you want to make the storm stop, then the only way, in his eyes, the only way to make it stop is to take him and to throw him off the ship. So Jonah initially, in order to avoid God's call on his life, runs in the opposite direction. And then when God tries to steer him back onto the right path, Jonah's response is, I'd rather be dead than have to do what God's called me to do. So just throw me overboard. And so they do. They throw him off the ship, and God miraculously sends a giant fish to be there at the exact moment to swallow Jonah up. So it's in the belly of this great fish that Jonah cries out for his deliverance. God hears that cry and responds by commanding the fish to spit him out on dry land. God's not done. God didn't give up on his prophet. God treats him the same this time as he did initially at the beginning of chapter 1. And God sends his prophet back to the people that he told him to go to in the first place. Tells him to go back to Nineveh. This time, Jonah goes. Jonah goes and he spends three days walking throughout Nineveh. Three days saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What's so amazing is that when the people of Nineveh heard that message, they believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God, and then they repented. An absolutely amazing scene that begins to unfold there in chapter 3. The Ninevites demonstrate one of the greatest examples of corporate regret that I believe is found in the Bible. They, they declare a fast as a nation. They declare a fast. They, they, they remove all their fancy clothes. They, they sit in dust and they go about mourning. And, and understand that this fast of regret or this uh, emotions and this mourning that they were involved with was complete. Complete in the sense that it affected everyone from the, from the greatest of them to the least of these. Uh, they all responded in that manner. Even the king gets involved with it. When the king hears about the impending doom, then the king gets off his throne and, and the king removes his royal robe and he puts on sackcloth and, and he too sits down in the dust of the ground, mourning. So, so Nineveh, in a matter of three days, Nineveh goes from this powerful, arrogant, wicked nation uh, to one that is in the midst of massive mourning before God. 
So they actually turn from their wickedness and they begin to do what is right. And so chapter 3, verse number 10, speaks about God's fantastic mercy. And it says, when God saw their deeds, so it's not that he just heard their cries, he also saw how they responded. And so when he saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. How amazing is is that? These people were so wicked, so evil, so perverse, that God's ultimate desire was he was just going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And then they heard the message from the prophet, and they bend the knee, and they cry out to God, and they ask for forgiveness. They repent. They show genuine remorse and they stop their evil ways and they begin to do what's right all of this is something that you would think that would be something to celebrate something to be excited about all that sets the scene (coughs) excuse me for where we begin in chapter four all right sorry about that let me begin reading it let's just read through the chapter real fast Verse number one, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. What displeased Jonah? Anyone? Yeah. The repentance. The mercy that God showed upon the Ninevites. So it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And Jonah is so dramatic. Verse 4, the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city, and he sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. You see all the things that God appointed right here? The plant, the worm, the wind, all of it comes from God. And so, back to verse 8, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, 
as well as many animals. In other words, chapter 4, instead of celebrating the amazing display of repentance, Jonah is furious. In in chapter 2, we see Jonah's response to his own personal deliverance. And then chapter 4, we see Jonah's response to the deliverance of his enemies. And the deep contrast that exists between chapter 2 and chapter 4 speaks volumes about the prophet Jonah and unfortunately all to his shame. As the Lord turns from his anger at the end of chapter 3, Jonah turns to his anger at the beginning of chapter 4. And this just isn't a a mild irritation that that Jonah feels. It's not just like, oh, I'm frustrated. No, man, he's hostile. He's got this rage and fury about his countenance. It's one thing uh, to cry out to God when, when things get difficult in life or when troubles come our way. But this is different. This is Jonah crying out to God because God withheld his wrath, because God withheld his judgment. Jonah is angry, and he's angry because God was merciful and gracious. Now, you dog on Jonah, and it's easy to to dog on him and, and his reaction. But let me just point out something that Jonah does that's very, very good. To his credit, The one thing that Jonah does right in chapter 4 is that he prays to God. He goes to God. I mean, he doesn't store up the anger in his heart. He didn't rant and rave and share that anger with other people. I mean, to his credit, he he did exactly what one should do. He, he, He got alone, and he prayed, and he talked about it with our Heavenly Father. Now, his mood was dark. His complaint was completely out of line, but at least he pours out his burden unto the Lord. And I think sometimes we avoid praying when when we're frustrated. Sometimes we avoid praying when we're angry uh, because we have this idea that we need to wait until we're in the right mood to pray. You ever feel that way? Ever experienced that? I mean, so angry and so frustrated that you can't even bring yourself to pray? I I think sometimes, in in cases like this, sometimes it's the very mood itself that needs to be brought before the Lord in, in prayer. There are many places in Scripture where people are rebuked in the way that they approach God. Mostly, they're rebuked because of their self-righteousness and their hypocrisy. I want to tell you that I believe that you are released and that you are okay by taking your frustrations directly to God. It is okay for you to tell our Father that you're angry, that you're upset, that you're bitter, that you're frustrated. He can take it. Many of the Psalms are just that way. There's a problem at the beginning of the psalm. There's this anger. There's this frustration. There's this crying out to God 
about this frustration and then something happens usually there in the middle of the psalms where where the person who's doing the venting finds peace peace from the father the circumstances don't necessarily change by the end of the psalm but god working through that individual something does change and there's a softening of the heart or a changing in perspective that the psalmist usually uh, finds. I'm just telling you that I think Jonah does a very beautiful thing here, and the thing that we can all be encouraged by is that in the midst of his anger, in the midst of all of his bitterness and even hatred, he has the sense to, to still talk to the Lord about it. And so with Jonah, we may cringe at what he's feeling, we may even cringe at, at what he's saying. But I believe that God himself seemed perfectly at ease with it. In fact, God uses this prayer time as an opportunity to teach Jonah just about the depths of his way. Ultimately, what we see in the book of Jonah is a beautiful display of what God, one of the things, like he could be limited, so let me just say it this way. I think the book of Jonah, we see how, how forgiveness is something that God does really, really well. Our God is really good at forgiveness. We, on the other hand, nah, we're not so good uh, about that. But God, he is great at forgiveness. It's, it, it, it's what he does best. I mean, Jonah knows it. Jonah has experienced it for himself. And yet Jonah hates it. In the same sense. He's glad to receive it, but he hates it when he sees those that he opposes receive it for themselves. Like, go back to verse number two. I bet you never thought that you hear the words of verse number two spoken in anger. As I, uh, he prayed uh, to the Lord and said, Please, Lord. Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Understand, like for Jonah in this declaration unto God, like this isn't a compliment. Jonah is giving a complaint. In Jonah's mind, uh, the Ninevites deserve judgment, not forgiveness. Jonah can't get beyond the fact that the uh, whole Assyrian Empire was just a brutal, wicked people. He hated them. Their reputation was well known. They were violent and cruel, capturing villages and taking survivors and paling them on the stakes and putting them in the entrance of the villages. Leaders severing the heads of their enemies and then wearing them around their necks as this uh, token of victory or something. I mean, they're extremely grotesque and brutal. And so Jonah wasn't interested in, in, in seeing them receive mercy from God. Jonah wanted to see them get judgment. Jonah wanted to see the wrath of God poured out on the Ninevites. And the truth is, they did deserve judgment. 
But here's the thing. Jonah is saying that as though he's someone who didn't deserve judgment. And everybody does because of sin. We all rightfully deserve to be judged by God. And so Jonah ought to be extremely thankful because he's fortunate that in his own words, he's fortunate that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and the one who relents concerning calamity. I mean, it's because of those characteristics that, that Jonah was, was given another opportunity, that, that he was delivered from the belly of this giant fish. So Jonah's a prophet who knows the word of God. Jonah's a prophet that, that proclaims the, the righteousness of God. He knows the character of God, and yet Jonah is the one that's on the run from the beginning of chapter 1. The Ninevites might be undeserving of mercy, but so is Jonah. And let's just personalize it. There's not a single person here, including your pastor, that deserves mercy from God. I mean, mercy can be can be simply defined as as not getting the just punishment that each and every one of us deserve. That's mercy. And aren't you thankful for Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23? It says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jonah wanted God's grace. Jonah wanted to to receive something in his own life that he doesn't deserve. So Jonah wanted grace for himself, but not for other people. It was good that God would give him grace. He just didn't want to see God extend that grace to his enemies. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, tells us that for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of works. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So the gift of eternal life is something that none of us deserve. But the gift of eternal life is freely given to us by the grace of God. So we don't deserve it. Nobody does. Jonah didn't deserve it. The Ninevites don't deserve it. Your pastor doesn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But by his grace, God allows us to enter into a relationship with him through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. Verse number 8 says that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It means that we're in a sinful state and Christ died for us. He died for us and, and, and we don't deserve it. Was it something that we did right? No. Is it because we all deserve it? No. But the grace of God sees past our sin, 
sees past our wicked ways, the grace of God extends salvation to those that will believe in his son. Jonah resents the fact that God is so generous with his grace and his mercy. And so let's look at ourselves and consider, are we much different than Jonah is? I mean, think about it. Are there some groups or some people that you'd rather not see show up in church and sit next to you on a Sunday morning? Be honest. Think about it. Is there some type of ethnic group that you'd rather not be around? Is there some type of socioeconomic group that you're just not comfortable hanging out with? I mean, you, you see that we say that, that, that God can forgive and, and God can, can extend salvation to any and everyone. But is there a part of you that deep down inside of you is totally fine if some people just don't make it? Think about that. Are you excited to see God's grace and his mercy pour down on, on, on people who, according to us, are extremely vile and, and wicked? Are you ready to see his grace and his mercy pour, poured out on Islamic extremists? For the pedophiles? For the abortion-performing doctors? Are you, are you ready to rally behind the grace and mercy poured out on their lives? I think deep down we believe that they need salvation. I think sometimes by our actions, or rather by our inactions, we, sh we say that we're okay if they don't ever receive it. Because there doesn't appear to be anything in us that compels us to share the good news with them. And the good news, in order to fully appreciate the good news, we have to be willing to share the bad news first. The bad news is our sin separates us from the holiness and the righteousness of God. And there ain't nothing that we can do to fix that problem. Enter in the good news. Jesus changes everything because of what he accomplished. So if we put our faith and trust in him, then we can receive what we don't deserve. Everyone needs to hear that message. And we should be compelled with all that we have to take that message to everyone. Perhaps those examples might be harsh. Maybe you're okay if they showed up and, and, and sat down next to you or, or near you but you don't necessarily feel compelled to, to go out and be intentional about trying to reach them. Let me just remind you of what the Great Commission doesn't tell us. The Great Commission doesn't say, open up the doors to your church, wait for people to come and to visit you, and if they should show up, then make disciples teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
that's not what the Great Commission tells us. The Great Commission isn't a open your doors to the church, gather, sit, wait, and hope that people are going to show up. That's not what it's about. What's it about? Going. It's going. It's, it's taking the message of Jesus Christ outside of the church and into their mess. And it's, it's not easy. It's difficult. It's painful. Sacrifices will have to be made. It means that we're going to have to be intentional in seeking other people out. We very well may have to travel to, to visit your personal Ninevites. Do you have them? Come on. You have them? Can you think of them? I mean, could God be sending you to your personal Nineveh right now? To go and to deliver a message of hope and, and salvation to people that are in desperate need of hearing it? I mean, we're going to have to be willing to be available. We're going to have to be willing to, to go and to share. We're going to have to be willing to enter into their world. And let's be honest, their world's not going to be very pretty. It's not going to be very nice. It's going to get messy. But we have to be willing to enter into their world so that we can seek to share the message of God's mercy, of his grace, but also of God's judgment and his wrath so that people know the full story. And so it's not going to be easy. It's going to cost us a lot. We're going to have to make sacrifices. I guess the question is, are you willing to? Are you willing to? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get the message of Jesus Christ out into this community? It's not enough just to sit here and wait for people to show up because they're not going to do that in masses. The most effective way for us to have a positive influence on our community is stop just showing up for church and think church is limited to this space. We are the church. Be the church. Go. You're released. Serve Jesus everywhere you go. You're, you're all gifted. If you're a child of God, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gifted you to serve in some capacity for the glory of God. Embrace it. Love it. Give your life to it. There's, there's one thing that we all have in common in this room right now. One thing that I can bank on it. We're all alive. You're still living, which means you've still got purpose. God still has a plan for you. You don't get to retire. You don't get to quit. You don't get to kick back and think, I've done my ministry. Now I'm done. No, you're done when you're dead. Ain't none of us dead yet. May we just understand that God moves us from ministries in, in, in different phases of our lives. Absolutely. You might not be doing the same thing you're doing today that you were 30 years ago, but are you still engaged in serving God and serving one another? Ultimately, our service to one another, Jesus says, is serving him. And so may we embrace that. May we love that. And then Jonah just ends. I'm sure you've noticed that, right? There's nothing else to be said. You know why? Because really the book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. 
by God. It's by God's love. God's love for his prophet, that he wouldn't just let him live in outright rebellion, and God's love for the wicked people in Nineveh, that he would take whatever measures were necessary so that they would have an opportunity to hear a message, eight words or less, but to hear a message and have an opportunity to repent. I, that's why Jonah's done. We don't have anything else to, to say about him because really this book isn't about him. It's about God and God's great love. And as being recipients of his love, recipients of his mercy and of his grace, then we should be instruments that display grace and mercy to everyone around us. So may we embrace that. May we walk in faithfulness to that. May we love other people the way that God loves us. And may we serve with great passion and commitment into what God should call us to. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for your love, your great faithfulness, how gracious and kind you are to us. God, thank you that you don't just give us one chance and when we mess up, say it's done, you blew it. God, help us to be like that with other people. So God, tonight I thank you for the book of Jonah. I thank you for the life of the prophet, salvation of the 120,000 plus individuals that, that occurred at that time. But God, I pray that as we even come back and we return to pick up the story of the Ninevites and Nahum, we'll see how quickly they abandoned their faith. God, may we not be like that. May we love you more today than we did yesterday. May we not be satisfied with that love that we stopped pursuing you, studying you and your word. But God, create within us a great desire to know you more. God, give us the willingness to serve you wherever you call us. God, help us to, to identify our Nineveh and give us the courage and the compassion to step into that area and to proclaim your great love. Christ name I pray.